Good evening, travelers of the night. Welcome back to The Stranger. Today we're joined by Ari as Esperanza. With gleeful salutations. Asteria as Dr. Isadora Glass. Good morning. Matt as Inquisitor Nihilus von Stonen. As the rivers of wisdom flow, so do my greetings to you. And Shane as Trevor. Uh, howdy doodly. In the last session, we met a stranger. See what I did there? Uh, we suspect a humble beekeeper is something much darker than he lets on. Let me not talk that up. Instead, let's just continue part two. Dr. Isadora Glass. The old man, his eyes look deeply into yours, piercing almost. You see sweat beating on his brow. He looks nervously. And then he looks down. I've never lost a game before. As you see the game pieces beneath you while you're with him, playing the game he laid out on the kitchen table while waiting with him as the trio heads to the basement to collect the crate that he requested. And he's just one, or? It's a close game. Oh, it's not over yet. Not over yet. It's your turn, and I'm warning you, if you embarrass me in front of this table, you're going to be the only one not having the leftover honey bread. That would be very sad indeed. It is charming, though, the way you have your bees here all alone in the middle of nowhere. And she starts to finger one of the, the pieces of the game like she's thinking very carefully, but she's still looking at him. She likes that she's making him sweat and it's giving her some ideas. Do you have a little speech, Dredgewell, about why you prefer bees to people? I just find them to be a lot sweeter. The bees themselves? They must sting your mouth. Honestly, I'm lucky that I have them out here. Otherwise, I truly would be alone. That is very lucky. Though you do get visitors, don't you? Yes, as he sees you take your turn, then he takes his, confidently pushing one of the pieces forward. And you, you notice that at this point, the board is in a bit of a linchpin state. Uh, any move you make seems to be a risky one. And while this conversation is happening, please roll intelligence. That is a, a dirty 20 on intelligence. Truth be told, if I didn't keep my idle hands busy, I would go mad out here. But yes, I, I do get visitors, and I, I'm not hiding. The light from my window can be seen outside. Sometimes people get lost. And I'm just glad that I've had the opportunity to meet some of those people before sending them on their way. 
you take your next move before responding, and in one unexpected move, he's now on the ropes. You could have this game in a turn or two if he doesn't do something. He said if I embarrass him in front of this table, right? Yes, maybe I misspoke, but he's saying if you basically if you embarrass me at my table. He says it, you know, you can't help but read some menace, but it's meant oh, yeah. as a joke. Uh, just before she decides what she's going to do, just in the time they've been playing Curious, you know, she would have been sizing him up. This robe he's been wearing that she knows has some sort of magical properties. He'd said that it protected from bees. Has she been able to notice anything about it or anything? Has she noticed anything new while they've been sitting there that might you know, Trevor had pointed out to her he could have magic. She is he. Does she have any new ideas about his abilities? Please roll investigation. That's a seventeen. You notice that the fabric is tightly interwoven. It's clearly resistant to piercing damage. Which makes sense. It's, it's a beekeeper's cloak. <laughs> right. Um, there are pockets all over the place. Very many of them. Some in strange locations. Just pocket. Pocket here. Pocket there. Uh, and they're all filled with random things. Knickknacks. Scissors. Tools. Um, you can only presume that most of that equipment is for beekeeping. And the hood has this translucent mesh. You can tell that if it's obscuring somebody, it'll completely obscure their face while being completely see-through. That's another unique quality. All right. Uh, I'm going to try this. And he retorts with a less-than-confident push of one of the pieces. She's not going to make a move yet anyway, if that's all right. Totally. She's not focusing on the game at the moment. She saw his move, and she puts a hand on his wrist. At first, like, as a sympathetic pat. And then she kind of holds it there. Not, like, violently or anything, but just... There's a little bit of pressure. Uh, she Because she has been very aware that the two of them are alone and she knows that she has a certain knack for talking to people alone and frightening them. Uh, and she says, do you know why I think you like bees so much, Mr. Dredgewell? Bees have a purpose. A bee's essence, as it said, precedes its existence people just exist and then have to create a reason why. That's what defines humanity, don't you think? The post hoc justifications. Then she pats his wrist again, a little more heavily and rhythmically, without removing the hand. Just look at you. You've decided you're not a person, haven't you? You're above 
beyond. Below, even, but separate. You hurt others to prove it. Surely, if that's what you do, it must be your purpose just to be mindlessly building a hive. But no, you're like any other human, Dredgewell. Telling yourself a tale about why your life has meaning. She leans back, takes her hand off, says, I, however, well, turns out my essence, whatever it is, long precedes my existence. The Void has grand plans, and I was made to see them through. They're starting to catch on, my friends, that what I really am is a monster. She looks directly into his eyes and speaks into his mind for the first time. Have you met one before? And then also with her mind, she grabs him by the front of the robe and pulls him up out of his chair to stand up in front of her. There's different ways to be a monster, but a gun stays a gun no matter where you point it. Is that a shove? It's a pull, which is, as we've discussed, not an attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, and doesn't do damage. Right. And she lets him go immediately and leans back and says out loud, I wonder if a bee knows its own purpose. Maybe it spends its life waiting to be told, not realizing the honey business is the whole shebang. <laughs> Maybe I'm right where I'm supposed to be. What do you think, Dredgewell? And she's turned towards him, her hand on her cane, looking him right in the eye, and he would need to make a wisdom saving throw, DC 14. That is a 12. He is frightened of me for an hour. He's not aware that I used any sort of ability. The pull might have been contested as if he wasn't so surprised by it he's thrust out of his chair the chair throws back as he's now standing and it's just something about your words they cut at him like knives and you see his pupils dilate his eyes go wide as he stumbles back a few times his fear growing and growing you almost see him shaking as he starts taking a few steps backward to make distance between you what? What are you? That's a very good question. I'm not quite of this world, and I'm not someone it's wise to lie to or hide things from, which you've already done, and it's very unwise to threaten my friends, don't you think? I... I... He stumbles a few steps more back. He barely can contain himself as he's almost grabbing for anything to keep himself standing. You see his legs shaking. He grabs for the wall, the other wall. He's kind of holding himself, propping between the two. And you see as his right hand shuffles along the wall and knocks a painting over and presses something in the wall before you and all you hear is a loud bang 
from within the walls somewhere. And then nothing else as he stands there almost frozen in fear. The game on the table, the board, the pieces go flying uh, telekinetically. They rise up and scatter. What did you just do, Dredgewell? Was it wise? Or very foolish indeed? No, it, it was... It was incredibly foolish. And he turns and starts running for the door at the end of the hall. He found my Achilles heel, running. <laughs> um... I will do the one thing I really can do in this situation then. Uh, sing along if you know the words. I upcast sleep. That's risky business. All right. Okay, let's see. Uh, first I'll do the base 5d8. And then I will add... So first 28 plus the 2d8 for the upcast... Uh, so 38 total. He runs for three or four steps, tripping on the last and falling onto the ground, striking his head on the floor as he is now asleep. Let's, let's pause there for a moment as we venture elsewhere. Nihilus, Trevor, and Esper. In the hall... You make your way to the stairs and all the way down to the first floor. And then down again. One more level. To a set of double doors, large for this apartment complex, that open up into a very large wooden open space. Tables and chairs, platforms, shelving, crates, most of it seems dilapidated, broken, and old. You even see a crane made of wood in the center, presumably to move large and heavy boxes that might have been used back in the day. But there in the center of the room, with even a light cast down on it from the window, is three what seem to be relatively undisturbed nicer-looking crates that may have been placed here recently. Uh, Trevor, kind of taking a look over at uh, the crates, looking around at the surroundings as well, uh, kind of mutters half to himself, half to the others, just saying, well, uh, there it is. Uh, I mean... The way that we was talking, me and Doc, we had some uh, re reservations, I think. Um, I kind of want to pop these open just to see what we're carrying. Oh, I, I, I agree. And, and as she says that, Esper is actively looking around to the other corners of this room. Oh, yeah, she fully uh, shared her opinion with me, and I do sincerely agree. While she's up there distracting him, let's do our best to scavenge around with the time that we have. Please roll perception, Esper. And Trevor, these aren't 
heavily secured boxes. You pry up the edge and the nuns come out of it. And on the inside, you see old packaging. Uh, it almost looks looks militaristic. Plastic that encapsulates things like rice and other dried sorts of foods. You see powder in there, in one of these bags. Presumably that powdered soap that he mentioned. But it's filled with supplies. Kind of running his finger along the bits of powdered soap. And just eventually says, it looks clean enough, I guess. I mean, I don't, I don't know what dirty looks like, honestly. So, uh, uh, Esper, you, uh, you spot anything? What was that roll? It was a 16. Looking around the room, you don't see much. Dark corners, crevices, spaces in between the shelving. Though, on one turn of your head, it was for a split second half a second even you felt like you saw something recede behind one of the shelves in the corner the edge of who knows what disappears before your eyes give me just just a moment and, and slowly Esper is going to inch closer and closer and as they do they're going to draw the sword that Trevor gave them just give a holler if something spooky-ooky jumps out. It's always kind of a problem. I, I, I can't really tell at first whether it's just me seeing or if it's really there. I'll find out. Don't, don't worry. You step closer, your feet creaking the old wooden floorboards of this cellar. And as you round the edge of the sh- shelving... What is originally shadow and darkness begins to take form. You see a creature. It's watching you as you approach. Its eyes so dark that they almost blend in. But those two black beads, just a little bit lighter, now that they have met with yours, you understand that whatever you do next matters a lot. Can Esper immediately tell if it is defensive or aggressive? You can roll. Let's say animal handling. Very rarely do I get to use that in D&D. That is a 17 naturally minus one. With a 16, you see... It's clearly aggressive, but it's waiting for something as it stares at you. And in this silence, Nihilus and Trevor, you see Esper standing, staring into a crevice between the shelving. And it's now holding an action. Esper does not advance toward it. They're going to see Esper slowly begin to crouch down and make no moves in its direction. The growling you hear is not 
audible to everybody in the room, but you can feel it vibrating in your head. In the way that Esper has begun to get used to being receptive to Dr. Glass's telepathic communications, they are going to think that it seems similar. So they are going to try and do that similar, almost subconscious opening, making themselves receptive in case there is anything beneath the growling. Letting in more willingly, you begin to feel an emotion, or perhaps lack thereof. You feel as though you're listening to the thoughts of a killer who is meticulously planning its next move. I might need help. It doesn't it doesn't feel good. Esper says that out loud. Uh, there's a thunk as the crate is closed, or the crate is dropped from Trevor's grip. And just an immediate turn to them and starts to just not running but just trying to get to Esper as soon as possible. If possible, could I take an action that is simply dodge? Noted for the dodge action, as everybody please roll initiative and open Owlbear. Oh my lord. Oh. Who could have foreseen these kinds of turn of events? That's a sick dog. Ooh, a natural 20 on initiative. Should I also roll initiative or not yet? Please do. 18. Uh, Trevor rolled a 17. Lucky 13. Immediately, this beast seems prepared. A spindle, a black spike, shoots out. You can see in the shadow as it begins to reveal this insect-like shimmering exoskeleton. And as it bends its head head forward, a small hole is revealed as it shoots forward. And the crane that is sitting in the middle of the room is snapped out of the rope that's propping it. And it begins to swing around. Nihilus, Trevor, and Esper, all of you are in its range. Please roll dexterity saving throws. Uh, That would be a dirty 20. Raw, baby. 13. That is a uh, undirty 20 for 24. Nihilus, please take eight points of bludgeoning damage. Trevor and Esper, four. As it swings around, Nihilus, you're directly hit in the back of the head. Trevor and Esper, you're able to crouch down just enough to be skimmed or grazed by this large wooden post that suddenly whips around the room. As the creature, now revealing itself... Like a beast hunting its prey, how they encircle the enemy. It's going to take its full movement to move out of that corner and into the open to the right. Esper, it's your turn. That is still just enough for Esper to track it and move and rush toward it. 40 feet of movement to get on it. And as they're going, it is the fight or flight things are in motion now it can't avoid we can't avoid it it has attacked us bonus action activating rage as they are going to rush forward their sword already drawn and they are going to try and gore it roll to hit this is with the major uh ether dependency 
plus rage, so it's going to be a total of plus four to this hit. On top of everything. Uh, that'd be a 23. A 23 hits. All right. You rush forward, striking it in between its carcass. You see it recoil as it does seem like it was an unexpected hit on behalf of this beast. How much damage is that? Six plus two plus two for the dependency. That is a total of ten damage. Ten points of damage. You see ooze start to kind of squeak out from within its carapace. It pulls on the ground. And this beast already looks hurt. Nihilus. He gets up from getting hit on the back of the head. He instinctively immediately grasps his Vox Brass uh, communicator um, and he sends his second charge, the final charge, to send a message towards uh, Dr. Glass. It's it's a trap. There's a monster down here. Be careful. On her turn, she can respond in however she would like to. And he takes his free action to equip his shield uh, um, on himself. And as a bonus action, he grasps his holy chain and says, Source, guide me. And he casts the shield of fate on himself. And he tries to move away as far as he can with all of his movements from the creature dodging boxes, bumping into them. But the shield of fate is like this magical white faint cloak that just protects him and it just he bumps against all these boxes but they don't seem to hurt him as he just rushes through as far away as he can go ahead and move your character and trevor it's your turn you see as this creature is already looking hurt surprisingly so oh damn all right now i got this hold on hold on hold on hold on uh he's going to turn towards the creature and uh, how high up is this uh, this crane here? It's lateral, about five feet off the ground. It doesn't go up, it goes horizontal. That's why everybody was able to be hit by it in one swing. Right, okay. So, you see, uh, as the crane is in between uh, Trevor and the creature... He kind of does a little bounce uh, on his on the balls of his feet, just trying to work up either courage or energy or something uh, before he just begin to run right toward the creature. He's grabbing on to the, the arm of the crane as he does so and basically using it as just like a monkey bar, just swinging himself uh, to get himself a little bit more air coming down with a punch straight downward. Its carapace comes over its head, looping in front of you, and you punch this hard surface that it's recoiled instinctively to defend itself. Are you doing anything else? As the fist connects with the carapace, uh, it doesn't budge, but neither does Trevor's hand. As Pushing off with his fist to get himself some air, he comes back down and just with a 12 to 6 elbow is going to try and take another hit. He is going to spend a key point and use Flurry of Blows to take two more attacks. Uh, so the first one is a 22. The second one is a modified 20. Both of those are going to hit. First one is going to hit four... Seven points of bludgeoning and five points of bludgeoning. How do you want to do it? 
So, as you see Trevor begin to do the charge, blings off the crane to get some air. First one doesn't hit, pushing himself off to get some air, driving down the elbow. Uh, as he does so, he kind of wraps his arm uh, around one of the appendages of the beast uh, into almost like a headlock uh, before he just... You can hear uh, him kind of like groaning and grunting with uh, great effort uh, as he's like basically trying to wrangle like a wild horse with his bare hands. And you can see him being flung around before he just pivots his hips and using the weight of the giant creature against him, he lifts it up with this headlock and just drives it to the ground. He's now lying on his side before he takes his free hand and just bam, punches it straight uh, in the side of the head to try and just get it to stop moving. A puddle of ichor before you just completely annihilated into the ground. However, we will remain in initiative as Dr. Glass. There is a man on the floor in the hallway who is asleep through your magic. Uh, I would probably have a little bit of rope, but uh, if I can tie him up, I would like to tie him up. I need to get some manacles. You deftly tie him up, then throwing him over on the other side and pulling taut all of the rope so that he would be immobile, hands and feet hogtied. Uh, sweet. And I say to, to Nihilus, is everything all right? I've, I've subdued Dredwell. He's asleep and tied. Sorry, I didn't get to him before he could... He hit, he hit something in the wall. He activated something. Trevor, for a moment, it's quiet again. You can stand up and wipe this ichor off of your hands. And you begin to see the ichor on the floor start to bubble. The leftover pieces of its carapace almost shaking lightly. Just this ever-present vibration. And... I need Trevor Esper with disadvantage. Nihilus with advantage. Sorry, Nihilus has a straight roll. Make constitution saving throws. Ooh. All right. I don't like that. 19. Natural one for a five. It's a 10 from Trevor. Esper and Trevor. You see this. Nihilus, you do not. The carapace explodes. These long, worm-like strands of creatures that wriggle around explode with it, and Esper and Trevor, you're immediately covered with them. Esper, you're first to see this as one of those worms that's on your shoulder and several more just on your body stuck to you like this slimy mess starts to crawl up and enter your ear. As another one enters through your nose, 
Trevor, you see the same thing, experiencing the same thing as they start crawling into your body. And Esper, it's your turn. For a moment, they're completely rigid because how on earth is that going to feel anything but extremely fucked up? It's like they're trembling in place at the shock of the feeling. And then their hands reach up, they drop their sword, and they are starting to claw at these things. They're trying to rip it out of their eye if there's anything to grab. Just getting them away from their face. And very... No attempt to be quiet is going to be made out of this. There's no time to even consider that. Esper is starting to, like, screech and yell about it. Just, ugh. And please roll damage as if you're making an attack. Uh, That is a total of 12 damage. Please take 12 damage as you begin clawing at your skin, trying to pull these things out of you. As one of them is almost entering through the corner of your eye socket, you grab onto it and rip it out. You feel you feel every little bit as if it has been pulled out of your skull and throw it to the ground, yet there's still more that are trying to crawl in. Nihilus, you see as Trevor and Esper start going mad, scraping at themselves. You can't immediately tell why, but you felt for a moment a surge of psychic energy. You can only presume that where you were lucky, they may not have been so much. Guys, the, the glass is all right, but what's what's going on? Talk to me. Trevor is uh, un, unapproachable right now. Uh, he is swinging wildly and... Basically, the same thing as what Esper is doing. Uh, he is digging him his uh, fingernails into the side of his face, uh, and is currently trying to uh, basically get his shirt off to try and get any of the uh, leeches or whatever, so to speak, off of him. Any of the worms. I don't know what's going on, but you're, you're hurting yourselves. And he grabs some piece of cardboard and covers light it up. And he casts light on it and it throws it their way to try to get a better sight, uh, try to illuminate the way as he throws his cardboard that illuminates the room. You can clearly see they're clawing at nothing. There's nothing on their face. They are just destroying themselves from the outside. Listen to the words that I am saying. You are clawing at, at nothing. I, I felt the, the psychic residuals. You're, you're being illusioned. Trevor, please roll to hit. And both of you, please roll another constitution saving throw. This time as a straight roll. That's That's another fucking natural one. Oh, cool. Well, don't worry about that nat 1, because I got a nat 20 to hit me. Let me roll that con save real quick. (laughs) And damage. Uh, That's a 14 con save. Uh, Let me roll that crit damage on myself. I'm digging my thumbs into my eyes at this point would be two plus three so it would be five points of bludgeoning damage to myself please deal it and dr glass 
It's your turn. The Vox Brass communicator cuts off abruptly as whatever message was being sent by Nihilus is suddenly interrupted. What I really want to do is uh, search him for that key and let the young folk take care of themselves. But I go to the basement door. You're in the apartment, and as you approach the front door to the unit, you try to open it, or not turns, but it is so sturdily shut. You can tell something in the wall has it bolted closed. Well, fantastic. Uh, then I would like to... Can I see what he pressed? There was a button on the wall under the painting. It remains rigidly depressed. I feel that. Yeah, I was about to say. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, you can tell it is stuck as if a panic button has been pushed. Do I correctly understand that, like, the button is, is done, it's buttoned? It cannot be unbuttoned. At least you don't know how. Okay. I, I guess that's all I can do. I don't have a, a, a an applicable bonus action. Yeah, I guess anything else I'll do, we'll have to wait for another turn. That's, that's, a, that's my action. Esper roll damage. This is going to be great. I have a total of plus four on top of my normal. I'm down no matter what. I am definitely down. You see as Esper continues tearing and tearing, and Esper, do you want to describe it? They're tearing, they're screeching, you can see streaks of blood leaving, because what nails they have are digging and raking so hard into their own face, going down their neck and into their face, and eventually their face is just covered in their own blood, and it gets to the point in their frantic clawing that they start to lose steam, and their voice is going hoarse, and it's starting to sputter. And they're still trying to claw themselves until they can't anymore, and they just drop to their knees and then collapse face down on the floor as their their own blood starts to slowly sink down into it. Nihilus. What? Damn it! Stop it! And as he says that, he tries his best in order to get a, a psychic distraction, something to snap the connection, and he will cast... He's going to fall either way. He's going to cast Mind Sliver on Trevor. Please make me an intelligence saving throw to try to literally mind-boggle them so it disrupts the flow. Of course, this is when I roll really well. Uh, that's a 17. A 19 minus 2. Is that on an intelligence save? Is that what that is? Yeah. Wow, Trevor. I'm on edge right now. I'm looking out for anything. You can't fool me, leeches. I know you're trying to cast a spell on me. He shouts, ends his turn. Trevor, please roll damage. Hmm. And then roll a constitution saving throw. Man, it's too bad I'm a monk and my unarmed strikes do a lot of damage. That's seven points. Please take seven points. And what is that con save? That con save is... A 13. Even worse. Oh, boy. You're, you're rolling great on the things you're bad at, and bad at the things you're good at. 
That's D&D. I love it. Oh. Glass, are you doing anything? Can I use Mage Hand to search Dredgewell for the key? Absolutely. Uh, the Mage Hand d- delves across the hall quickly, rummaging everywhere until one small silver key is picked up by the Mage Hand. There is only one door that has a keyhole, and that is the B-room door. She does not think there's time for her to get down to the others to be useful if they need her help. Uh, there's certainly no elevator <laughs> that's going to get her down there. So she is going to... And I'm just going to go to the B-room. Okay. You walk down the hall, stepping over his body and inserting the key into the keyhole and turning it along with the whole knob. The door pushes open and that sound of buzzing clearly gets a lot louder. And in this room, you see a man in a reclining chair, leaned all the way back, his head so far back he's looking towards the ceiling. Except the chest area is completely cavernous. And what replaces a set of lungs is the crystalline-like beehive structure. The bees are dark with big red eyes. And they fly in and out of the cavity in his chest. You can see as his eyes, tilting down from the ceiling, look towards you. And his mouth speaks. Help me. I'm assuming that Dr. Glass has one way to help this poor man. Yes, though you also notice the bees don't seem happy about your presence. Why don't you also roll for me an animal handling as a free action? 22, baby. Queen bee. They start flying more violently around the room. The agitation of the entire hive continues to grow, and you can only assume on the next turn they will become violent. That said, the room with the man in the reclining chair has across from you past the man in the corner. It's a smoker, the kind that a beekeeper would keep. If you depress two of the handles, presumably smoke will emerge from the other side, typically used to calm a hive. You'd have to walk past it, though, and I would say walking... Except that I don't, because I have telekinesis. Esper, please roll a death-saving throw. Nihilus, you see as Trevor continues, it's getting worse now. He's on the ground, crouched over in almost a prone fetal position as he continues scratching at his face and extremities. With with like a flip of the switch... He rages the voice in his throat and he casts Thaumaturgy as an action to enrange the voice uh, up to three times as large and he yells at Trevor, Trevor, stop it! It's an illusion, you bungle! 
as a bonus action, he cast Healing Word on Esper. Please um, take a full 1D... A full 4 healing. Trevor, please roll your damage. And please roll a constitution saving throw with advantage. I keep rolling max damage on my attacks. All right. Uh, Seven. And what was that con save? It's a 12. With advantage? Oh, no. Who's saying that? I'm losing blood. Please take the seven damage. I'm down to six hit points. Dr. Glass... You're in the room. The smoker is across from you. The bees are now enraged and they begin swarming the room. Please roll dexterity saving throw. Well, that's a very mean thing to say to me, Wes. But that's a 19. I should return from the dead more often. What would you like to do? As the bees swarm you and you swat them away, not taking any damage from them. I uh, use Mage Hand to uh, grab that smoker and smoke them away. As a bonus action, you depress the smoker and the bees begin to calm down. And I think for your purposes, you're out of initiative order. Um, then in that case, so I'm whispering soothing things to the bees I'm not swatting. I approach the man, but I want to take a look and see if I can speak with him and give him some comfort in in some way. He turns his head in the most belabored fashion, as if it takes every bit of his energy just to move that small amount. The cavity is clearly in a terrible state. It's a surprise he's even alive. And if anything were to save him at this point, it would be nothing short of a miracle. Help. Please. I can end your pain, my friend. I'm so sorry. Does he look like... Does he look like a... a, Oh, I just forgot the term. The water stalker. Does he look like a water stalker? Do I have any idea? He does. The... What's left of his clothing, the little amount besides what's been torn apart for his chest, is leather and protective against the salt wastes. This may have been the traveler who came by not too long ago. Uh, And I say, like I say, into his mind as gently as I can so he doesn't hurt himself if he wants to respond. Would you like to tell me your name? As you reach into his mind, you hear that buzzing, like the rattling against your skull. It's likely what he lives with constantly is that feeling in his bones, that vibrating. You can almost feel the patter of millions of insect mandibles inside. And you just hear almost in the same voice he speaks aloud but in your head now and it please alright yes right away good luck and I'm so so sorry and as quickly as she can she she 
lifts her cane and crushes his skull. There's a thud. And then silence. And in this moment, Esper, you come back from the brink and you still see as Trevor struggles on the ground. It's your turn. It does cause half movement for me to get up, but that is okay because I still with that have enough to take the few short steps to topple myself over to Trevor and I'm gonna just kind of wrap her arms around his arm and just in a rasping voice it's not real it's not real Trevor please stop it she is attempting to help soothe his mind away from what she knows is going on in it and hopefully give the help action Nihilus. He's going to be more patient. He holds close his holy his holy chain and he holds his action to command um, Trevor to stop. I believe that's a save. Is it a wisdom? Oh, he, so he holds the action. Oh, he's holding the action. For if uh, Trevor would fail mm-hmm. uh, his saving throw and then he says aloud Trevor, still with the enhanced voice. Trevor, you know, you can hear us. It's an illusion. Steal your mind. You're stronger than this. You are. I've seen it. Trevor, before you roll damage, please roll your constitution saving throw with advantage. Yeah, I imagine at this point, Trevor... He's not even really cognizant that there are, like, that he thinks that there are worms all over him right now. I think as Esper is uh, grabbing onto him, uh, I think he's just, like, laying on his back on the ground, like, eyes rolled back. Just this ichor starting to, like, clog his throat as he just starts coughing violently. And just this ooze starts leaking out of the... Uh, ends of his mouth just to try and figure out where he is it's not just the the bugs he's fighting off he just finds himself like caught in his own head uh, this, is this with uh, advantage yes that's a 12 <sighs> that is not meant to be please give me a contested athletics check. Esper and Trevor. Oh, this is this is the main event here. I believe we have the same modifier. Oh no. It's a twenty-two for me. It's a nine. You can't stop me from killing myself. The moment that Nihilus spots that Trevor is not himself, he will try to harm himself, he commands him to stop. Please make me a wisdom saving throw. Another 12, baby. Wisdom save. Well, actually, no, 12 beats it lower. That's a 10. You are commanded to stop. How long does that last? A single turn. Okay. 
Let's stay here for a moment as Trevor, please roll another constitution saving throw. He's just gurgling, foaming at the mouth. That's a three for a four con save. He continues fighting you, Esper. He fights you as hard as he can. And please roll a contested athletics check. Is this technically around so that I could possibly rage again? You can rage. You could roll with advantage. Yeah, I want to try and help him. All the strength I can muster. 22. 11. Esper, you hold on to Trevor as tightly as you can. Trevor, you can barely move your body anymore as you feel Esper's grasp around you. And... Trevor, please roll another constitution saving throw. He's just hearing voices. It's his own voice this time, just saying, she gave you five years and that was five more than you deserved. That's a ten. Please roll a contested athletics. It's a ten for Trevor. Natural twenty. Trevor, you can fight this. You can Esper is clinging onto that arm and trying to keep it wrenched away from himself while she keeps saying, it's not real, it's not real, Trevor, it's damp. The smell in the air is rotten, petulant. There's bodies on one side. There's skins on the other organs all separated and there is a black bull laying on the floor in the center of the room you know this place there's a moment Trevor just takes the deepest breath he's ever taken ever since that day. All the shouting, all the laughing, all the voices, they're gone for now, and it's just him. And it's the worst torture he's ever felt. It's nothing but his thoughts. looks down he thinks back to that day he's not even there's, there's not even any kind of emotion on his face he just looks down at that ball I <sighs> couldn't I just died that day What was the use? What have I got to give now? All I do is take. You see as there's a shallow breath, as if he might still be alive. I'll lean down. Kind of get down on his knees. He thinks back to before the Black Bulls. He thinks back to his time in Beale. There was this... Where they lived, they always had to be cautious 
because there was... From where Beale was located, it was right on the border. Right on the border. Right across the mountains, there was this roving band, a war tribe, the Red Tide. And every now and again, you'd have to go and hide from them. You couldn't hope to fight them unless they wanted to abduct you. You fought for your life then. But if not, you just found a place to hide and you waited the tide to come in and then come out. And there was this one time where he was a farmhand. He he handled bulls just like this. He put himself in danger. And in the aftermath of one of the red tide attacks, they took damn near everything. All the food all the reserves, all of our tools, some of our people. But they didn't take them for... They didn't take them to enhance themselves or make it so that they could survive a long winter. They did it just to take. And they bled all of our livestock and just left them to rot took them just so that we couldn't have them. And Trevor first figured out that day that with strength it trumps all other forms of power. If you wanted something, you had to be strong enough to take it, and then once that happened, you were strong enough to take anything you wanted. So as he looks at that dying bull, just thinks back to little 13-year-old Trevor looking down at that bled bull that the tide had taken. And he just puts a hand on the bull's side, just feeling its breath, its chest rise and lower, more haggardly with each breath. He just sort of sits there for a bit. You look down again at this bull, and it's not a bull anymore. It's Marta, your mother. And something's different, because as you look further down not laying flat anymore, but instead you see an arm is raised, and that arm, as you look even further down now towards your body, is inside of your chest, gently holding on to your beating heart. And it's not her voice that you hear next, but someone else's. As you hear, you bear my mark you have been given a gift such brash foolishness you have to grapple with forces beyond your comprehension I believe I can find a use for a will such as yours you can rest assured 
Your wife and child shall not come to harm by my hand. However, you, who willingly trespassed in my home with the intention of destroying me, I cannot allow this to go unpunished as you feel it tighten and squeeze through the organ as pieces of it of flesh fall to your mother's body. Please roll a constitution saving throw. Nine. She continues as it's no longer Marta but your wife, Freya. Again, not speaking with her voice, but you feel as the hand starts to press up to the inner cavity of your chest, touching the inner rib cage. You have five years. Five years to make peace with whatever deity or master that pleases you. Your heartless body shall serve as an hourglass. For when those five years have elapsed, your life will come to an end. What do you do in this moment as you roll another constitution saving throw? As Trevor feels the grip on his heart tighten, he hears the tear of tissue and muscle. The tears rolling down his cheek are thick and viscous and black. He just looks deep into his wife's eyes. This is more than he ever could have hoped for. He's lived enough life for many different lifetimes, and now he's reaching the end, and he just wants to be able to write the last word. He doesn't want someone else to do it. He just wants to know that he just wants to know that he mattered. He's going to, looking down Freya's body, he knows he's forsaken her already out of whatever machismo, bravado. It was cowardice is what it was. He didn't want to face her. Looking, feeling, being as weak as he is and with six constitution he's going to slowly start to reach down hearing a vile woman's voice coming out of such a beautiful face he's just going to start to reach down putting one hand over her mouth and the other around her throat is just going to try and silence her as best that he can and squeeze. As you squeeze, you see the body becoming purple, the asphyxiation sign of it that you're not unfamiliar with, 
as the head continues talking and if the next constitution saving throw fails it could be really catastrophic as you hear know this I hold sole dominion over your soul sole possession of your heart and when you finally expire you will never move from this material plane you shall serve me for eternity in the afterlife no healer can cure you no task can redeem you you may die before this beautiful curse takes you but know that in death you shall be mine forever so spend that time well Trevor the Heartless and roll a constitution saving throw come on Trevor he never knew his father he never had someone to teach him how to be a man. He had to learn that from his mother. And she was the toughest person he knew. As one of those people who were taken by the hand, by the red tide during a raid, she spent a long time in their possession. And it was only through a chance encounter with one of the most sensitive orcs she ever knew that she was able to escape. Trevor never knew his father, but he heard stories. Stories that, despite how people viewed orcs, he was always so kind to her. And when she had the opportunity to run it was his father who stemmed the tide letting Marta escape not just her but the child that she bore and as he these thoughts pass through his mind he could just feel the greatest regret that despite all this, despite how much he wanted to condition himself to be as tough as possible, to be there, to help out his family, to be that provider that he never had, he could never hope to be as tough as the woman who bore him. That is an eight. Before you is no longer Freya or Marta. It's a, a man, an orc, tall, muscular, maybe not the tallest, maybe not the strongest, deep green, scars from battle, rugged, strong jawline 
and you don't know his face, but you recognize him. It's Kagra. And his arms go around you in an embrace. And where you were kneeling over the floor, you're now suddenly standing. And where you are in the inner sanctum of a hag's lair, you're now in a campsite. You hear the cries of laughter and joy and fighting. For a moment, they remind you of your black bulls, but you recognize this isn't your camp. Trevor is no longer struggling. His chest rises and falls with each breath. Slowly, you see the bandages can't contain the ichor that comes from within. It almost seeps through the seams. Without a thought in that moment, it's just the reaction that she has. She's tearing the shirt open to see the cause of it, thinking that it's another massive injury that he caused himself. The chest cavity is pestilent, worse than it's ever been before. The liquid pools on the inside, these black spider veins travel not just through his chest area, but around his side, over his shoulders. And He's alive, but his time left has been severely diminished. I had seen some of this injury before at the beginning of our bunker stay. I'm assuming right now that those black tendrils and veins have grown across him. Not just twice, but three, maybe four times the size. They stretch almost through all of his skin. Lucky or not, the only spot that doesn't have them at this point is his collar, his head, and below his wrists. Oh, oh no. Trevor, Trevor, Trevor. She's leaning over him. She's going to reach a hand to his face, kind of wipe some of the blood away to try and see him more clearly, give him a little quick pat on the cheek. Trevor, 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 can you, Nihilus, Nihilus, can you come? I something unnatural. I, I don't know what. He's, he's still, he's still there, though. He's still there. I can tell. He's, he's, he's. Does, does Nihilus have a sense that he's losing life right now? You sense that Trevor is stable, uh, basically at zero hit points. So, you could try a heal. If you want. Nidus is going to <coughs> take out 
in a, in a stable manner. He's going to take out from his uh, backpack, from his satchel, uh, actually, um, a medicine kit, and also his one and only uh, potion of healing. He's going to, um, with all his might, <coughs> he's going to try to lift uh, Trevor's head a little bit to try to pour the potion in, trying to take a close look at his vitals. Trevor, wake up. As he pours it inside, please, you four. Five. Come on, Trevor, you can do it. You come back with five hit points. And the progression of your illness has taken an exponential jump. As you come to, you feel it like a heavy weight in your esophagus and your lungs. It's not like an irritation anymore, but just this mucus that coats it. Breathe. Hey, hey, hi. Hey. What happened? Breathe. You're, you're going to be all right. We're safe now. My. Um. <laughs> We're in the basement still, Trevor. Uh, yes. It wasn't... It wasn't real. It tricked us. This was me. I'm wiping more of the blood off her own face. You're, you're gonna be fine. Is, any, is anybody hurt? Have you looked at yourselves? Looks down. Thinking about others. <laughs> what about yourself in the club? He tries to lift him a bit. Here, get up against his crate. He'll kind of lift himself slightly with his arms just to brace himself up against a wall. Let's get you away from this goo. And he starts to uh, like wipe him off a bit with these cloths and tissues that he has. Yeah. Oh, where's the doctor? She's still upstairs I, I, my connection with her broke she said she had everything under control she's a capable woman I trust her uh, but we should probably check up Trevor is going to without waiting for Nihilus to finish talking is just going to start to stumble out of the room and start walking up oh, the stairs oh, oh. careful I gotta check on him we gotta f- we will wait 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 sit your ass down the you trip and you'll be unconscious again. I'll go check up on it. I just have a cuts, a few cuts and bruises. Esper, yes. Look after him, please. You see the spots of black from the wound to his hand to the wall as Trevor stumbled a few steps forward, and maybe to abridge some logistics, you're able to assist Trevor slowly very slowly up the stairs each step 30 seconds a breath and then another step you get up to the top floor where you see the door to the room is fused shut and Dr. Glass you're able to communicate that Esper I'm sure with enough trying you would eventually be able to find a way to break through what you can do you destroy that door to reunite the group. 
splintering it into a million tiny pieces. All that's left are two solid metal bars in the middle. While the bars stay, the door is gone, and you can crawl under or over them to get inside. And, Dr. Glass, you see, as Trevor is lowered down into a thud, crashing down into a chair, slumping forward in the room with the assistance of Nihilus and Esper. Howdy, Doc. What happened down there? Take a look at him, would you? There was a creature. It exploded. There was some sort of psychic residue. The both of them went absolutely mad, but Trevor over more than that. A creature? Psychic? Did you all nearly die just to surprise me? Wes, and do I feel any psychic vibes coming from my friends? Any residue? That's a good question. Can you please roll with advantage an intelligence check? Eleven. Oh, no, fourteen, sorry. Ever since the bunker, you've started building a skill of being able to reach out into the psychic energies of the world. And in this moment, you feel as though you can sense people's baseline, their pulse, their psychic pulse. And Nihilus, it's like a racing heartbeat. Like you, you, you feel every single bit of that rhythm. Esper, slower, but calm. Somehow, despite who she is, she's developed this psychic resilience, this inner peace over many years. Trevor's, who maybe you didn't reach out and touch it in the past like this, you could always sense something. It always felt warm and gentle. You feel... It's as if somebody took a knife and dragged it through that psychic aura that you read. You feel it's severely damaged. And you can clearly see where the clothes have been torn and and open. The progression of his illness has taken leaps faster than anyone could have expected in such a short period of time. And what about Dredgewell? You sense his eminence, his aura, to be cold and slow. And in this state of being on the ground motionless, awaiting his fate, whatever that might be, he lays there, not unlike some other killers you've studied in the past. I gotta tell you, Doc, with, with, with how much this hurts, I can't help but feel that there's uh, some sort of lesson that can be took from all this, but I'll be honest, 
don't know what lesson that is. Uh, oh, I, I gotta say, if I had a choice between learning a real good lesson and not having a hole in my chest, it just doubles over. And she's dimly aware that a few days ago she would have quipped something about how the lesson is perhaps that he should have listened to her or something like that. And she's not, she does not currently feel that urge. Before I move on to the next thing, Wes, do I currently feel like there is anything I can do for Trevor? I, you know, I don't have healing magic. I just have my healer's kit and a, a, a little baby resonance with the void. Please roll intelligence with advantage again. That's more like it. Uh, 18. As you reach out your mind to the world, this time you notice something more. That cane that you carry, that one that came from who knows where, but probably somewhere on this island when you first got your hands on it, it subsumes. It's like a psychic void. Just like that material from years ago you examined with Lord Felix Royce, you feel that it will pull the energies, the psychic energies from a creature. It's almost like that creature that was in the Whaler Hotel in its ability to simply take. And as a doctor, with what little psychic abilities you have, probably all you can do is make Trevor more comfortable. Treat these symptoms. But you also note that if the time were to ever come, and possibly not just for Trevor, you can capture his or anyone's essence with this cane and perhaps help to ferry it to the afterlife. Whoa. And that would be the cane of the Nightjar. She gets lost in that for a moment, staring at her own cane. Uh, anyone who's looking at her would see her shake herself out of a little moment of a little mesmerized moment. And she uh, stands up again. She sat with him. And she strides on over to Dredgewell. Looks down at him. The only person I've killed so far today is your poor victim. You probably don't care whether or not I leave you alive. But there's still a lot we can do with you, Dredgewell. I'm going to search this place. You have a chance now to tell me useful things 
and improve your fate. I would normally say to roll intimidation with advantage, but he's not a normal person. So please roll intimidation. Very fair. I just want to roll it the second time to see what it would have been. Exactly the same, which is a three on the die for an eight. You see a smile come upon his face as he continues staring at the wall and doesn't look you in the eye as he responds. You're in the middle of nowhere, and I'm the only one who knows where to go. So, perhaps, you could change your approach. I certainly would like to make some tea for myself. I think we need each other now. He looks up towards the room of bees. They swarm around the body a bit agitated. Their environment, which will degrade and die along with them over time. If you're looking to negotiate, you should try the human types. Dredgewell. I'll be on my way. And she uh, goes and starts searching the rooms for anything useful. He yells out, Untie me! And you hear thud. He continues, Untie me now! As he's hitting his head into the wall behind him. I pull him five feet towards me, telekinetically, to make sure he's not triggering some sort of button. You just see a bruise and a little bit of bleeding. He's harming himself. I die, you die. Rethink your approach. Nihilus approaches the man with a couple of steps in a normal pace as he uh, leaves his hands from Trevor. Let's let's Esper carry him further. He approaches the man and he uh, kneels towards him to be eye on eye. There's a, there's a kind smile on his face. And he says to him, while looking at him in straight face, I wouldn't even bury you. I have been taught in many ways in order how to make one truly suffer for their sins. You be careful. You hurt people that I care about will not be forgotten. Work with me or be compelled. <laughs> I have a sickness. Please. I don't that's why I live so far away from society. I didn't ask to be like this. Please. I think Dr. Glass has seen this routine many a time from highly manipulative patients. Oh, boo-hoo, Dredgewell. Nihilus, did you know that he thinks he has leverage over us because he thinks we'll trust directions that he gives us? He thinks that he might lead us to safety. I thought you could use a little bit of a laugh after what he's been through. Fine. Try on your own. And he won't resist anymore. As you look around... I'm not going to make you roll investigation. You have the place to yourself. You can spend time looking. And you find his possessions are sparse. In his room where he sleeps, it's cold and mostly empty. 
you see a rolled up parchment with a little wax seal on it that has a label of map and as you unravel it you see it's blank all of this is a facade of a normal life that he presents that's the thing that becomes clear if he does know the way that's in his head look to be real I think we need to rest even more especially after that the battle took took quite a lot out of me and out of some of you as well um but if the man has any information I don't think you will even be willingly be giving it to us we do need it we are desperate here as an inquisitor I don't like this in fact I hate this but I'm strange in order to punish the sins as well I propose we lock the man in the room of bees as we rest Nihilus when did you acquire psychic powers because you're reading my mind and he turns around and goes exactly to do that uh, does anyone have an, a knife I want to cut that fancy cloak off of him first so we can keep it let's cut the sleeves I still have the good doctor as you as you take the knife doctor glass the good doctor from Esper it cuts smoothly through this garment and you're able to remove it from him underneath it's just his scant undergarments he is bare before the world and there's definitely a little voice in her head that just says the phrase the good doctor as she holds this Soros, I pray to you. Through many works, I try to follow in your path, and never do I like towards following the needs of sins. Yet, every now and then, as is the duty of any Inquisitor, it is to be done. I sent you the soul of a man to be tested. Shall he endure and enlighten himself towards a better path on life, or will he take the sins towards a newer down dales and you push him forward as he stumbles into the room and you close the door behind him and lock it and lock it as we will go somewhere else as a man walks across an old bunker he finds tattered cloths and open cans and places where stains on the ground reveal where somebody might have slept for multiple nights in a row. It goes through until he gets to a room with a device in it, that little green dot still flashing. What do we have here? I haven't seen one of these in a, a fortnight. And he steps forward and begins clattering on its buttons. Let's see what I can remember. And everything you revealed, he discovers. And um, well, this one's a bit tricky. Uh, replay. And before him, the screen illuminates with a shudder 
as an image of the inside of the bunker appears, showing him standing at the computer. All right, let's let's dial this back. And he begins winding one of the buttons, and quickly it goes backward and backward until he sees soldiers rushing in, grabbing people, taking them hostage, tying their hands behind them, their backs, ferrying them up the stairs. All right, all right, we already knew this part. Let's let's keep going. And he goes back further until he sees a water stalker and several people stepping out of the bunker. Okay, uh, so you left the bunker, but then, ah, that's the warehouse, right? Uh, Forward, and he scrolls forward. The soldiers kind of disappear up the ladder in fast forward and it appears on your second appearance into this bunker with new helmets you found something oh the the table well I guess they didn't need it anymore did they Uh, and then you just left where could you have gone he looks Oh, well, I don't know why you're carrying that, but I guess that'll serve me just fine. And he taps the off button, and that's where we'll end today's session.